Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. You can open up with me the book of Haggai, book of Haggai, and our sermon series that we're actually um, coming near an end is called Forward Together. We're going to end the book of Haggai this morning. We've uh, This will be our third week in the book. And the reason why we chose this theme, we chose this book, is around this time last year, we had spent some time going through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, where Israel was returning to the promised land from captivity. The same promised land that Moses was promised when the sea parted and, the, and Israel left enslavement in Egypt, the same promised land that they were ushered into after 40 years wandering in the wilderness by Joshua, this same promised land that they were then uprooted from by the evil empires of Assyria and Babylon, the same promised land that they are now returning to to rebuild the altar and the temple and the walls. This same promised land shows us a picture of God's persevering promises to his people. And so we looked at that last year as we were preparing for our grand opening, our launch Sunday, and Hurricane Ida messed everything up. And so I was thinking about as we're entering a season of trying to get back into our Kenner property and Ken and I actually talked about this this past week when we met. We talked about how the excitement that it's going to generate when we go back there. I know people have asked, when are we coming back? Not everybody can make it over here to Metairie. I'm so glad that you're here with us and God is doing a work while he's here. You know, the scriptures also say don't despise the days of small beginnings. Don't despise small beginnings. God can do something like the faith of a mustard seed to move mountains. The scripture also says in the book of Ecclesiastes, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. While I was reminded, I'm sorry for picking on Ken. Ken and I just hung out for a little while this week. And Ken and I talked about how um, how uh, really, even you look around, you think that we've had people come and go. We've had a bunch of people move in the last couple of months, and uh, we all miss Andre. We all miss Mike and Julie and Grace, right? We all we miss them, right? Uh, we we miss people. But do you realize that we are about triple the size of where we started at the beginning of the pandemic? So let us not despise what God is doing. Because think about the work that he did with 12 men, right? Think about the work that he did with 12 men, literally changed the world. So here we're looking at us going forward. And last year we were, we were saying we're going forward. Well, we're still going forward. And we're reminded that Haggai in Ezra chapter 5, Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to Israel as they were waning and rebuilding the temple to get to work and to stop Stop their apathy, stop their fear, and do what God had called them to do. We opened up in Haggai chapter 1, and we talked about what forward work looks like, what the forward work of God's people look like. And we see that God's people are called to do God's work, but that we often ignore the work that he's called us to. We often ignore it, but God has, has called us to not ignore it and to invest in the promises that he's given us 
and to respond to the call of the work that he's called us to do. Now, last week we looked at, they finally, Israel got back to work rebuilding the temple, but then fear began to set in again. Discouragement began to set in again. Some people looked at the temple they were rebuilding, and so historically the second temple that was rebuilt, which will later be known as Herod's temple, the Herod's temple was not as big as Solomon's temple. But God reminded his people that the size didn't matter. It was all about his presence. And so we see that he gave them a forward assurance. They were assured in the work that they were called to do. Even if they had grown weary, they were strengthened by his presence as they relied on his promise. And so today we find ourselves with, uh, yes, we have forward work to do, just like Israel had. We have forward assurance of what's coming ahead, just like Israel had. Today we're going to talk about what forward commitment looks like because at the end of the day we've got to put our feet down and we've got to commit to doing what God has called us to do the great commission says that go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit and teaching them to do all that the lord had commanded them to do but it ends with this phrase that we often we we skip past he says but lo or behold i am with you always even to the end of the age. God's very presence is here with us 2,000 years later after Pentecost. God's presence is here in this place. His spirit is here ministering to us and he's here reminding us about the commitment that we have to fulfill his great command and his great commission to make much of him among the peoples. Let's read together the book of Haggai. Let's finish it out. Haggai chapter 10 or chapter 2, verses 10 through 23. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 23. It says, on the 24th day of the ninth month, well, this is important because we're getting near the end of the harvest season. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet and says, thus says the Lord of the hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches his fold with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil of it or food of any kind, does it become holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If anyone who is unclean by contact with a dead body, touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and says, yes, it does become unclean. Verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with these people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so it is with every work of their hands and what they offer is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came with a heap of 20 measures and there were but 10, when one came with a wine vat drawn for 50 measures, but there were only 20, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the fountain of the Lord's temple, foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider 
Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vat and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree has yielded nothing. But here's the good news. But from this day on, God tells them, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shatil, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. What we see here today is that God is calling his people to commit to fulfilling the work that he had called them to do. That's the big idea. God's people commit to God's work. God's people commit to God's work. His work is worthwhile. His work is how we show ourselves worthy of his praise. He has lavished his grace upon us and we aren't saved by these works, but we are saved to these works and we commit to the work that lies ahead together. And we're reminded of two things because we have two different passages we read here. We're reminded in verses 10 through 19 in this passage, we're reminded that God's people first are accountable for his work. God's people are accountable for God's work. We are held accountable. We know when we read the book of Revelation, we know that one day we will be held accountable for everything that we have done and that we haven't done for his glory and his fame. The good news is those of us who are in Jesus, the judgment has already been placed upon Jesus on the cross that we God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. But we are accountable for the work that a God has called us to do. And what God uses Haggai to point out here is two different things. He uses priestly regulations and agricultural imagery to communicate the truth that Israel is in sin and they haven't yet dealt with their sin. They haven't yet dealt with their sin. They've continued to move on haphazardly rebuilding the temple without yet repenting and dealing of the sin that was within their own camp. See, we're all guilty of going to work and doing what God's called us to do without having the awe of God, without really recognizing the one that has called us to that work. We can go through the motions. I mean, we're all guilty of it. We check off the box that we went to church on Sunday Sometimes you can pray in your car and you do it kind of just haphazardly for a few minutes. It's to check off that you've done that. The awe of God recenters us as we realize how worthy He is of all of our worship, all of our works, everything that we can bring to the table, that these things don't make us worthy, but because He is, we do them for His glory and His fame. Perhaps, if you look at verse 11, it says that the Lord of hosts uh, told them to ask the priests about the law. Perhaps, maybe, maybe at this time, perhaps they didn't think the temple was necessary because they could come to God through the priests. 
We live in a, in a city today that feels like all we have to do is go through other people to God, right? We live in a very similar situation now. But what God wanted them to do was to rebuild the temple because that's where his presence was. And in fact, us as a New Testament people, we have the temple of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We are his temple. His presence is here abiding with us. We don't go through anybody else. We go straight to him. And this is why gathering is important. Is even though we individually have access to God, we're commanded to not give up the places and times in which we gather. You see, the temple was an opportunity for God's people to gather together. And the buildings that family church inhabits in, ourselves in, whether it be here in Metairie or back home in Kenner, this is an opportunity for, or hey, even our Bible studies that we do in homes, it is an opportunity for God's family to come together around him. This is why scripture says in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, that we should hold, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who had promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let that be our motivation for coming together. We don't come just to get something at church. We come to give something, to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as has become the habit of some. COVID has, has accentuated this warning, right? Not neglecting to meet together. Well, it's so much easier to stay home and watch a sermon, right, online. It's so much easier to catch up on the podcast during the week. And that doesn't mean that those things are evil. Heck, this is being, this is being recorded right now. People are listening to our podcast throughout the week. But the point of the podcast, the point of recordings, all of this is to point people towards God and his people. Because we grow together. This is what God has called us to do. Not neglecting to meet together as has become the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you, as you see the day drawing near. So we see that he uses priestly imagery and also agricultural imagery to show that Israel had not yet dealt with their disobedience to God. And their disobedience was rooted in the fact that God called them to return from captivity and rebuild his house. And they didn't do it. They didn't do it. They found every excuse under the sun to do it, to not do it. And so we see first, he says, well, if, you know, in the fold of your garment, priest has some holy meat and holy meat, this is the Thanksgiving offering. If you look at the book of Leviticus, this meat had been consecrated to be burned on the altar and it says if the folds, you know, this will fold, you're holding some meat in your, in your uh, shirt and uh, what do they call it, veil, uh, your tunic, tunic, that's it. Uh, I don't wear a tunic, so I have to be reminded of that. So uh, you're, you're carrying some meat that's been consecrated and made holy. And if it touches one of these other common items, what are the common items? Uh, stew, uh, a fold of bread, stew, wine, oil, or food of any kind. These are common items, common items that weren't meant to be offered on the altar if it touched it well what did it become did it become did 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 it become those items become clean and the answer was no they don't become holy and set apart and clean that's because our faith can't be transferred to anyone else it's yours 
Some people need to hear that just because grandma went to church, just because mom went to church. We tell our kids all the time, just because mom and dad serve in the church, just because dad's the pastor of the church, your faith has to be yours. It's yours. There's nothing I can do to transfer my holiness to you. Well, then the next analogy happens, and they talk about dead, dead bodies. If you didn't know, in the book of Numbers, chapter 19, verse 11 and 13 says, Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days. And whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died, does not cleanse himself and defiles the tabernacle or the presence of God. And that person shall be cut off from Israel. Now, this is Old Testament law. This doesn't mean that if we know anyone who works in the medical field and they, they're with a patient who loses their life, or if you've been with a loved one who loses, doesn't mean that you're unworthy to worship God. In fact, you should go to God in those moments, ever more so than you do in, in on normal days. But what it means is here in the Old Testament, they're working towards the presence and perfection of being worthy of worshiping God. It meant that if you touch something that was defiled and you touch something else, you defiled it. And the priests answer this question, does it become unclean if you touch a dead person? Their answer was yes. See, while righteousness can't be transferred to other people, sin can. It can. Y'all know there are generational sins in all of our families, right? Here's the truth. When you're born, you're not born righteous. You're born a sinner. And if you don't believe that, you've never had kids. Like, I know we joke about that, but you've never had kids. They're cute when they come out. And then they start screaming and pooping and clawing and they don't stop, right? Sometimes they do that in adulthood, you know? Right? We're sinful. It's what we call, we were looking at, at our community group, we were looking at Genesis chapters, chapter 2 last week, where we began talking about chapter 3 together about sin. It's what we call, a theological term, is called the state of total depravity. It means that when you were born, you were born a sinner. You were born separated from God. And while, yes, we have families that we are born into and they are believers and they provide spiritual covering for us, we dedicate children when they're born to the Lord, that dedication and that work that we do does not save them because you're not saved by works. The only way that you're saved is by grace through faith. Grace comes from God Faith comes from us. We are called to respond to his goodness. And then we see that we know that there's sin that is yet... It, it, all this to say that righteousness in Israel, and even in our day, is not as prevalent as uncleanliness or sin. And then he reminds them that their crops weren't even producing what they thought. Their wine was running short. They weren't having what they were desiring to have and all these things. They, were, they had these instruments to collect these, these, this harvest and they weren't collecting enough. All of that came as judgment for them not dealing with the sin that God had called them to deal with. But what we see in verse 15 is this. Now consider from this day onward. They were given an opportunity to move forward. 
God didn't declare everlasting judgment to them. God gave them hope. Verse 18, the verse begins and ends with the word consider. So God is saying from this day on, here's the truth, consider this. And he's telling them to consider it so that they would turn their apathy into obedience and praise. And then we see a good news in verse 19. I heard some amens when I was reading it. And God says, yes, all these things are going wrong, but from this day onward, I will bless you. Notice that God doesn't say, because you did these things, I will bless you. God's not required to bless us. Another fancy theological term that you can go to seminary and learn, Elijah, or you can learn right here in the, in the church, right? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. God says that he would bless them. God has the right to, to bring judgment on them. God doesn't have to bless them because of what they do. But God says that he will do it anyway. It's unmerited. It's the favor and the presence of God. And just like you and me, we live in the unmerited favor of God. Family church, we don't have to have a roof over our heads. God doesn't have to do any of this for us, but by the unmerited favor of God, we have a place to gather. And by the unmerited favor of God, were you saved? And by the unmerited favor of God, will the works of family church continue in University City and throughout New Orleans and throughout the United States and to the ends of the earth? So God's people, we're accountable for his work. We should confess our sins. We should commit ourselves to God. We should never live in a state of apathy. And then lastly, we see this. Yes, we're accountable, but we hold on to his promises. While we work, we hold on to his promises. God's people hold on to God's promises. Let me say that again. God's people hold on to God's promises. How tightly are you holding on? We, we have to hold on tight. We've had to hold on tight to God's promises through COVID and through Ida. We've had to hold on tight for the storm that's brewing in the, where is it, the Caribbean. We've got to hold on tight to God's promises. We may be online next weekend. I don't know. You know, like we've got to hold on tight to God's promises because life will beat you and beat you and beat you up. The enemy wants to beat you and beat you and beat you down, but we have to hold on to the promises of God that through him he has made a way and we will see a brighter day. So what he tells here is this, is a, this last oracle, this last prophecy is addressed to Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was the governor or the, you know, the political leader of, of Israel. He was the one that Cyrus decreed to go back and, and do that. And so we know that Joshua was the priest that went back with him. Zerubbabel was the political figure. And we see that Zerubbabel, we look in Matthew chapter 1, verse 12, and Luke 12 and 13, and Luke chapter 3, verse 27. In the genealogy of Jesus, you'll see Zerubbabel's name. Zerubbabel was part of the Davidic lineage that eventually brought us our Savior. Why was this last promise addressed just to Zerubbabel and not the priest or not the people? Because God wanted to remind us even here 2,000 years later that it, the hope is not found in men. 
The hope is not even found in our religious activity. The hope is found in the royal king of kings. And if you don't know this, there's not much written about Zerubbabel after you get past the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah, and Haggai. There's, history doesn't tell us. Actually, Zerubbabel fades quickly out of the scene. In fact, he's replaced even in those books by other leaders. Why did Zerubbabel fade so fast? Maybe, in fact, it's because the blessing wasn't about Zerubbabel himself, but it was about the royal king who was yet to come. And the blessing says that Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you like a signet ring. I know we don't seal letters with rings anymore unless you're a real hippie, you know? Like, y'all know how like you've seen a movie where they have a ring, either they're wearing a necklace around their, their neck or maybe on their, on their fingers and to stamp a letter or to, to make something official, they stamp it down. Laura and I were watching kind of weird movie. I'm sure Keegan likes it called Dune. Y'all ever seen that? It's a weird movie. Um, so at the beginning of Dune, they're making this like agreement that they're going to go do something. I'm not going to say the names of the people because I don't know if you think Star Wars is weird. Dune's much weirder. Like, but they're making this agreement about a place that they're going to go serve and they make the agreement by taking these rings and stamping it in the agreement. See, the signet ring signified, signet, significance signified authority. It signified promise. In fact, it's why in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, I believe verses 13 and 14, if that's wrong, look it up. Uh, I believe it says that we are sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance to come. Like a signet ring seals, we are sealed by God's presence. And we see in verse 23, God tells Zerubbabel, on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shatil, declares the Lord, and I will make you, I will fashion you, just as God formed us from the dust or formed us from the rib of man, just as God breathed life into us, God will fashion and form Zerubbabel and his lineage for what's going to come. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you'll see that Conaniah, who was a part of the Davidic lineage, had his signet ring cursed. So in fact, as Israel was about to go into captivity, the promise to, to David was, was cursed, basically. They were without hope. But here, through Zerubbabel, God is re-signifying through a signet ring that his promise still stands. And it's always stood and will never go away. That God is who he says he was. And he is who he, who he is. And he will do everything that he has said that he will do. He tells Zerubbabel, I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. 1 Peter 2, chapter 9, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Why don't we have to get to God through priests anymore? It's because you are a kingdom of priests. He made you priests. Our, our job is to do the work of the Lord. It's not just a select few. It's all of us. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are chosen 
for such a time as this. As Zerubbabel was meant to be a blessing, now as God's people, we are his heritage. The book of Revelation says, the one who conquers will be my son, that he will have this heritage. We are the heritage of this promise. And God is calling us as his people to move forward together and to proclaim that promise to everyone who will hear, to hold on to that promise together. So God's people, we're accountable for his work, but we also hold on to his promise. And here today, Family Church, what is our response? Our response should be, should be this, what God really challenged Israel to do here by his grace. God's people commit to God's work. And so I'm asking you today, are you going to commit to his work? Are you going to commit with, to what lies ahead? Praise God, we, we've signed a contract. We have a new roof going on our Kenner property. A time's going to come pretty soon. Let's pray that that happens as soon as possible. Y'all know how contractors work. You know, it could happen in two weeks or two months. Let's pray that, that y'all pray for that. Literally, like pray. Pray God's in control. Like he is in control. Pray for the diligence of the person holding the contractor accountable, but also that the supplies come in. Y'all know we have supply chain issues. Pray that God would give us the supplies and the time that we need to get that roof back on. And as soon as that roof, and y'all know it has a roof, but it has damage in the roof. As soon as that roof is fixed and partially replaced, we're going to get to work, church. Like we have a lot of work to do. We're not just going to pay people to do everything. I know some of us can't do plumbing and some of us can say they do plumbing, but we don't trust you to do plumbing. So we're going to pay somebody to do plumbing. But here's the thing. We all have work that we can do, whether it be painting or whether it be cleaning up. There's going to come a time where we got to move stuff back. Church, we've always done that. Whenever there's hard work to do, we get to work doing it together. And so church, we're going to continue to do that. God's people commit to God's work. I hope you're excited for what lies ahead, just as Israel was excited for the temple to be rebuilt. And we've read the book of Ezra last year. The temple was rebuilt. And you know what? History tells us the temple that they rebuilt came down around 70 AD when Jesus said, this place is going to come down. And the coming down of that temple by the Roman Empire that ransacked Israel the coming down of that temple signified through the Holy Spirit that now we don't have to have a place. But as a people, we make up the presence and temple of God and we gather in a place. It's not about works. It's not about things. It's about grace. It's about Jesus. And today I invite you on that journey together. Brian Zucker, Brian Auker uh, in the... English uh, in the ESV study Bible writes, he works at Covenant Theological Seminary. He says, Zerubbabel, a descendant of one who was previously discarded, when we're talking about Conaniah in Jeremiah 22, 24 through 27, is placed on his finger the ring of the divine king. God's promise to bless his people and the whole world through the house of David still stands. And it's still stands today just as Jesus as a descendant of David came called people to follow him died on a sinner's cross for you and me was buried in the grave for three days rose again 
ascended to the right hand of the Father and says, I'm coming back and I'm coming soon. And like we read the book of Revelation, he is coming soon. And there's a day that the skies will break open and the rider on the white horse is coming. And until that day, we have work to do. And so if you're here today and you haven't followed Jesus, I'd like to invite you to join the family. I'm not talking about just joining family church. We are called to join the church, but I'm asking you to join the family of God. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We repeat that every week for even people here that know and follow Jesus so that we can call others to follow him. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're saved, God's called you to be a part of a church family. And so I would invite you, if you want to be a part of family church, at the very end, me and Elijah are going to be standing in the back. We would love to talk with you. We'd love to, what you can do is, um, and I know some have already indicated this, we'll give you a card in the back and all you have to indicate on the card is that you would like to join. And we'll meet with you during this next week. There's a membership commitment that we go through together. And we'll tell you about what does it mean to be a part of Family Church and what do we do together. We do a lot together. Y'all, earlier, a few months ago, we approved a budget of up to $100,000 to get back into Kenner. Y'all, we can't do that alone. The only way that we do it is together. We definitely can't do it alone as one person. Otherwise, uh, somebody will probably get thrown into jail if they do something wrong, right? We do it together. We do it together. God has called us to do this work together, together as family. And I'd like to invite you to be a part of Family Church, whether it means following Jesus or whether it means committing your life and service here to his work. Let's respond. Tim and, and the band's going to come and they're going to sing a response song and they're going to remind us of the assurance and the promise that we have in God. And I pray that as we sing that song together, that we respond. We respond with bended knees. We respond as ones who've had a signet ring stamped over our own lives. The blood of Jesus, his body that was broken for us, his blood that was poured out for us. Help us to respond in light of the sacrifice that he has made for us. Let's pray. Lord, as we opened our time together and we talked about awe, God. God, help us to never lose the truth of who you are. God, in the midst of captivity, in the midst of return, in the midst of hard work, in the midst of doubt, God, help us to not forget your promises. Lord, because we know that your promise, it still stands and it will always stand because your truth does not return void. So God, help us to be assured of that today, knowing that the story we all have to tell is yours. It's in your name that we respond. Amen.